Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala, and I know entirely too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. With me, as always, via Zoom video chat is my dear co-host, Kristen Studdard. Hi, Kristen. Hello, Joe. Lovely to be thought of as dear in this holiday season. I believe this episode is dropping on Christmas Day. So no way, really. <laughs> yeah, I think it I is. I asked you if we were putting out a special Christmas one, and this is it, people. This is uh, the the acknowledgement is going to be pretty much the extent of the Christmas cheer that you're going to get in this episode. But there it is, nonetheless. Take it or leave it. And Kristen, you're sounding pretty pretty sharp. I brought my AKG with me on the road. I drove 13 hours to Santa Fe to be with my tiny little three-person pod of a family. They drove 18 hours from Chicago or 20 hours from Chicago, and I drove 13 hours here. Brought my little microphone with me, and I'm sounding crisp. And uh, we are, we're doing a, a rare three-time zone record. Oh, yeah. I'm in mountain time zone. <laughs> Weird. You're in mountain time. Uh, our guest is is coming in from Minneapolis, which is the central time central. zone. Central. Uh, she is an author and a writer. We're very excited to have her. Let's welcome to the show Dana Rate. Hi, Dana. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to represent the central time zone. Yeah. I love central time zone. It's a great time zone to be in. This is a boring thing to talk about, and I apologize. But <laughs> as someone who lives on the West Coast primarily, central time zone is like excellent. It's East Coast is so hard to plan things three hours, but two hours, you can really make it work. Central, you've got, you've got access to all the good time zones. It's pretty good. Mountain's not too bad either. (laughs) It's a nice happy medium. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Well, Dana, the question I usually start off with is what, if any, is your reference level for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? How familiar are you with this institution? You know, before I started researching Link Gray, um, it was zero. I knew when the Rock Hall was opened in Cleveland, I understood that they, I guess I knew more about the actual physical institution and the educational component and not as much about the, about it more as a quote unquote hall of fame um, where right. people as live. an ephemeral institution that yeah, lives in ephemeral. all our hearts. <laughs> That's the word I'm looking for. So I didn't know much until I started looking into Link and, you know, we'll go into this, but he was nominated a couple times, has never been inducted, of course, which is why we're discussing him. 
but it was really once I started researching Link that I sort of started digging into the background of it and who's in it, who's not. And I've sort of, not nearly as much as you two, but I've sort of gotten into the whole conversation about does it matter, does it not? You know, I go back and forth all the time. Um, so it's really just in the past few years that I've started to learn a little more. Yeah, in general, it's like, it doesn't matter until you're in. And then you're like, this rules and it's so exciting. That is yeah. how I've found <laughs> to be the to be the case. Also it for the matter. most part, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter until it matters. The, every once in a while, there's a connection that's really strong with certain artists in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because they're not in it. I think the the monkeys are one. Like there's all there's an entire subsection on the Rock and Roll oh. Hall of Fame's Wikipedia that set that is like dedicated to the monkeys. Uh, is it is the Jay Giles band another one that it's, it's a big not just oh. just because I don't think anybody cares about them. But like Elyon Wenner. Yeah, truly. They they're there that's like a, a cause coming from the inside. But these are these artists are more like and Link Ray is definitely one of them. You go to any YouTube upload of a Link Ray song or performance, so many of the comments are um tell me again why he's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. There's always an attitude to it. And then there's a lot and then the comments are always like, well yeah, cuz the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a crack of shit and nobody cares and like um yeah, it's a it's a hall of lame, a bunch of really, you know, weak insults. People get very very passionate about it when their favorites aren't in. For sure. And a lot of Link's, you know, fans as you've seen with the YouTube comments, his family He's got nine kids and his bandmates too. There like, you go. But, That's a fan club. Nine yep, kids is a fan exactly. club. It's a baseball a, team and it's a fan club. club. Like. That's probably why he had so many kids, just so he'd always have a fan club. Um, but even talking to, you know, I interviewed Rob Stoner, who um, played with Bob Dylan. He played on Don McLean's American Pie, great country musician, studio musician. Um, he was in Rolling Thunder Review and he's done his own solo stuff as well, but he played with Link and Robert Gordon in the late 70s. And, you know, he's in a class that would be among bordering on, you know, rock elite, I guess, mm -hmm. especially because of his association with Bob Dylan. But even he says, you know, it's a crock of shit. Like Link's not in it, doesn't matter. <laughs> and there's so many people who Link is like their, their reason for hating the rock hall. Yeah. Whoa, that's kind of, you know, there was a really strong fan base for the Janet induction. That was like a really big thing. And like they, they had, there was a strong, just like, you know, fuck the rock hall. If Janet isn't in kind of thing, there are certain artists who, yeah, their fan base, it causes them to hate this institution that the person is lacking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, there was, I think it was TMZ tracked down Joe <laughs> Walsh. Yes. Um, a few yeah. years ago, just to be like, and I think that maybe the nominations had just come out or the inductees had just been announced. And they're like, Joe Walsh, what do you think? And he was, you know, Joe, I'll do my Joe Walsh impression where he's just like, hey, what? I uh, know it's all, it's all politics. There's no, I mean, Link Gray is not in the Hall of Fame. He's the best musician of all time. So that doesn't mean anything. And then they're like, thank you. For some reason, we're TMZ and we're talking to Joe Walsh. About Link yeah, Ray. About, yeah, and the Link amount, Ray comes up. The, the amount of things that do not belong together. Like, 
the TMZ part is the, is the really, is the wild card in that salad. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. it's like, you, you got Joe Walsh talking about the rock hall, talking about Link Ray, that all, that tracks, you could see it happening. You cannot imagine it being content for TMZ, like a TMZ. From like a paparazzi. It, it's it's, it's been a very, very slow news day, whatever. Day yeah, I think so. But it, I, you know, but you mentioned Rob Stoner and I think, one of the things is that it particularly it is musicians. It is people who mm-hmm. uh, have been in the music industry and who have made a contribution to music who are tend to be the ones that are the biggest Link Ray fans and tend to be the ones that are most upset about his non-induction. Yeah, there's a saying people throw around. I don't know who originally said it, but you know, Link Ray is your favorite musician's favorite musician. And that's totally true. I mean, he's He's beloved by many people, of course, but musicians just look up to him and look at him so fondly and admire him. And I mean, it's not even all about his guitar playing either. And we'll get into that more probably, but um, just his attitude and the fact that he, you know, had a career that spans six decades. And how did you wind up getting into, in the, in the Link Ray book business? Yeah. <laughs> Not call it a business necessarily. Uh, How did you create the Link Ray book business, <laughs> or 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 even cottage uh, industry? <laughs> even yeah. before that, I'm curious. Do you remember the first time you heard Link Ray? You know, I don't. A lot of people can pinpoint, and a lot of people I've interviewed can do this. They can pinpoint the first time they heard Link Ray, which was probably Rumble. <laughs> lot of people who love Link and for his bandmates who are a little you know baby boomer generation for a lot of them it was probably on the radio in the late 50s or early 60s but but that that's right because when you think about when Rumble came out in like 58 a lot of the musicians who would then go on to really be part of the British invasion Mm -hmm. or the height of rock and roll that is such a pivotal time given how old they would be and how much that could impact them. So they have all the, all these memories of like, Oh, this is exactly when it hit me and it changed my life. Whereas, you know, people who were not around like imprinted on them in a very important time in their life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's, it's a little different if you have come of age much later, whereas the music that was influenced by that has already been around. So it's not as like paradigm shifting. It like doesn't fuck you up. For those people, you know, they were, like you said, they're 13, 14 when it came out, very important time in your life. And the landscape of music at that time, you know, like Little Richard was around there, Chuck Berry, there was rock and roll. But when Rumble came out, the tone of it, the attitude, the fact that there were no words, but it sounded so dangerous. And for the those of us who are younger, I think it was more pop culture because when I was, I would have been 12 or 13 when Pulp Fiction came out, um, Rumble was used in the iconic $5 milkshake scene with Uma Thurman and John Travolta. And I think for me, that was probably the first time I heard it. And that coupled with, I think I assumed that was a Dick Dale song for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. Dick Dale is also so prevalent on that soundtrack. But I think that's when a lot of younger people discovered that, or they maybe discovered it through a punk musician, like Sid Vicious was a fan. 
the cramps is the way a lot of people discovered um, Rumble and Link. But for me, it was definitely Pulp Fiction that I heard Rumble. And then that and then, did that spark uh, an immediate fandom or? Not really. Um, I just kind of knew who he was. And then I re-encountered him when I was, this would have been probably eight years ago. I was working as an editor as, at a print magazine, a local magazine here in the Twin Cities called Metro that is no longer because magazines don't exist longer than eight years. <laughs> right. Um, but we did, so I'm from Minnesota and in Minnesota, we really love to claim our celebrities and just go over the top with it. So Prince and Bob Dylan are huge deals here. I mean, and Lizzo now and Lizzo now too. (laughs) Yeah. People do not shut up about, (laughs) you know, Bob Dylan left here when he was in college and went to New York and didn't really come back. Prince is a different story, you know, because he stayed here. But we love to talk about local musicians. So I was editing this magazine and we did a feature on, I think it was the 50th anniversary of Bob Dylan's first album. And I was making this playlist of covers of Dylan songs. And I came across Link's cover of Girl from the North Country. And it blew my mind. If you go in the North Country farm. is from 1964 and if you're familiar with the original it's super slow and it's from Nashville Skyline and he also released it on another album and Johnny Cash features on it in one of the versions and it's just super drags and I'm not a huge fan of it if you're traveling in the north country fire where the winds hit heavy on the borderline but I heard Link's version and it completely like cracked it wide open it was just like sparkly and jangly and he had this really sweet voice and I remember looking it up and thinking like Link Ray that's the rumble pulp fiction guy who doesn't sing what's his deal and then I got laid off from my magazine job as happens (laughs) so frequently in media and I just there was a Link Ray music festival happening in his hometown a couple months later in North Carolina, Dunn, North Carolina, great little town. Um, They're very proud of Link there. They're having a festival. So I went down there, introduced myself to the family. I figured I'd pitch a freelance story and ended up getting a book deal. So it was a fruitful journey to North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. Yeah. And, you know, six years later, it's still not out yet, but it's done. But yeah, it's just been a wild. Is it a biography of him or is there a, um, what is the entry point of it? It's a biography and it's sort of, you know, it does the whole chronology, but it also talks about the legacy um, and a lot about his influence on other musicians and just sort of the story. like an argument for his inclusion in the Rock (laughs) Hall, to be honest. Exactly. That's kind of what I'm hoping. I don't know if the Rock Hall will listen, but. <laughs> but yeah, oh, they don't listen. <laughs> we'll do our best to amplify. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. We've uh, got a lot of sway. I mean, pretty much everything I've ever wanted to happen with the Rock Hall has happened. Um, 20, I'm just bat 10 out of 10. I'm, I, I just really, they listen to me. They care what I think. Yeah. With, without a doubt. <laughs> without a doubt. That's uh, the how bo- you explain The book is called First Man in Black. Tell us why you chose that as a title. Shade Johnny Cash? Not necessarily to shade him, but it is sort of a play on the idea of Johnny Cash being the man in black. 
Um, and Johnny and Link sort of overlapped. I think Johnny is, or was, was born a couple years after Link. So Link slightly older. And, you know, Link started playing music in the early 40s. So he was around a long, long time. But yeah, and also the idea that he's an indigenous musician and the sort of first, you know, the first is sort of a playoff of that. And the fact that he was really one of the first, just that like iconic image of a badass dude in leather with a pompadour and sunglasses like Link really helped create that image he may not have been the first but he definitely was one of the first literally just opened up his Spotify well I was just like you know I don't the thing about me is I don't do any research for this show I just come in I learn I have opinions about the things I already know about and then I learn new things and I was like "Hmm, I'm gonna just what's he look like what's going on and the bio on Spotify the first sentence is Link Ray may never get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but this, but his contribution to the language of rock and guitar would still be a major one, even if he had never walked into another studio after cutting Rumble. Quite simply, Link Ray invented the power chord, the major modus operandi of modern rock guitarists. That's what I'm telling you. Like there, there are some artists where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame exclusion weirdly becomes a part of the story. Yeah, that is wild that I just, you literally never see them talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on the Spotify, you know, bio ever. That's so funny. Link. Yeah, it is. Like you said, Joe, it's almost like a selling point for him. Like he's such an underdog. I think also the uh, kind of rebellious persona of Link lends itself to not being even associated with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like I've got, got a fucking leather jacket and sunglasses. Fuck off, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't fucking need you. Yeah, I mean, he's too cool for school in a lot of ways. And that was sort of, I don't know if that was actually his attitude. I think he came across that way sometimes, especially in his later years. I think he, who was it that put out a full page ad in Billboard once because they didn't get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? It was... I can't believe Joe does not know this. Is it, I've I wonder, heard this. I mean, is this Bon Jovi? Who I'm is like, is it? No, sorry. I'm totally taking us on a tangent. No, we no, no, no. This is live for this kind of stuff. And it makes me think we, it's I probably mean, the monkeys just because I, I'm thinking of the artists where their exclusion is, is so much a part of their narrative. Um, it was Chubby Checker. Oh, Chubby's another one. In I, 2001, I mentioned this in the book. Uh, in 2001, Chubby Checker took out a full page ad in billboard and he was saying like i want my flowers while i'm still alive mm-hmm. and said like i can't smell them when i'm dead because he'd been snubbed um and ozzy osborne i think asked the rock hall to take him off the list completely at one point to take chubby um, checker off the list no <laughs> to take ozzy off the list. Uh, yeah no <laughs> i just i would love it if ozzy <laughs> Because of Chubby Checker? I think I speak for Chubby Checker. Yeah, it's like, (laughs) take him off the list. Um, Yeah, Chubby Checker is another one. That's maybe the trifecta, the monkeys, Link Ray, and Chubby Checker. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, yeah, Chubby's been very vocal about it since the the beginning. And he's still not in? He is not in. And, you know, what they did with Chubby Checker and also what they did with- Oh, did they singles category him? Or did did they do early influence? With Link Ray, they did- those two were in the first- class of the 
what's the word I want to use when here? We thought singles cat the the motherfucking singles category. The motherfucking singles category. Uh, back there when we, we thought the singles category was going to mean something. And you, uh, know, you thought people were pissed about Link not being in the Rock Hall. If the Rock Hall thought that singles category would appease anyone, I don't think it did. I think it made people even more mad. Yeah, because it's a, it's almost literally a consolation prize. Oh, yeah, definitely. And of course, and if you're going to have a singles category, Rumble deserves to be in it. But just induct the man. I don't understand what the, what the big deal is. It's kind of saying, too, it's making you feel like a bit of a, a one-hit wonder as exactly. well. Exactly. And Link was so not a one-hit wonder. And that's a huge misconception about him is, like I mentioned before, he had a 65-year career. And like so many albums... I. I tried to do a discography for this book and I don't even think I can do it. There's just so many, wow. there's so many different versions and singles and, you know, in the fifties and sixties, people were putting out, his brother had his own um, record labels and studios. So they were putting out single after single and different band names, you know, different releases in different countries. So I don't even think I could do a comprehensive discography. There's so much out there. And so for anyone to think he's a one-hit wonder to be like, hey, you had a good single in 1958 seems mm -hmm. a little patronizing. Yeah. And from what we have been able to glean, the Hall has not really, uh, with these singles inductions, had any involvement in terms of uh, contacting the families, inviting them to the ceremonies? No, I think it was... I had spoken to Link's daughter about this at one point, his oldest daughter, and I think it was just a, a quick email, like not even really professionally done, just like, hey, uh, we're going to be putting this song into the singles category, <laughs> just like... Just so no, you know. They don't even get two free tickets to the ta to sit at no. the table or whatever. No. That's like such bare minimum shit to do. It really but, is. Yeah. It, it, across the board, this category has really upset us. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's, it's a matter of... You guys agree. <laughs> yeah. It, it's... Yeah. It's, it may be, in theory, there's a way to do it, but they certainly have not uh, accomplished that. Any respectful way of... of of doing something like this definitely i had no idea that he was indigenous that is cool and interesting um yeah a I lot know. of people don't realize that um and that's partly because he hid it for a long time uh -huh. um not necessarily super actively his shawnee native american definitely on his mom's side there's some question as to whether he's Shawnee and or maybe Cherokee on his father's side and census results are kind of inconclusive about that because with older records you know if the courthouse burns the records are destroyed or people a lot of times would say they were white when they weren't um, for various reasons but Link pretty much hit it or at least wasn't open about it until his 1971 album that was self-titled. That was sort of his comeback after Rumble. Mm -hmm. He hadn't done much for about, well, he'd been doing things in the 60s, but nothing huge. It was usually for small labels um, her, or one of his brother's labels. And then in 1971, he released an album that was self-titled for Polydor. He's on the cover in like a Native American headband and a tribal print shirt and turquoise jewelry. And that was sort of his, I look at it as his coming out sort of, 
of being a Native American. Um, but the thing is, by 1971, that wasn't such a big deal. And it was right. sort of cool. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Woodstock people were wearing feathers and headdresses, and there was a lot of cultural appropriation happening. Do you mean which Coachella? Um <laughs> very cringe when you look back at it. Yeah. No, no matter how well meaning it was. But from then on, he was pretty open about it and actually talked a lot about it in interviews. But there's not a peep before that of him discussing it. Um, and it's interesting because he, so he recorded with his two brothers, his younger brother, Doug, and his older brother, Ray. And Ray and Doug- Wait, very, very, Ray, Ray Ray? Well, <laughs> well, he was originally named Vernon. Vernon, And he, okay. his stage name was Ray Vernon. And then he ended up going by Ray. Okay. Um, but <laughs> was their last name Ray, W-R-A-Y? Yeah. That is their last name. So he yeah. was Vernon Ray, but- he started going by Ray. So he would have been known as Ray Ray. I bet yes. people called him Ray Ray. <laughs> I mean, in North Carolina, people were calling him Ray Ray. <laughs> Get on up there on the stage with Ray Ray. I mean, I buy. Okay, great. So I like that. the older brother and younger brother were very white looking, had like dark blonde, curly hair. Um, and Link, I mean, if you look at a photo of him, you can tell like he's definitely Native American. So sort of an interesting dynamic there too. Just he sort of stuck out in his own family as very clearly indigenous. But was yeah, his it, name Link as well. Was his what was that a, was a nickname? Fred Lincoln. Yeah, his dad. He was named after his dad. His dad was also Fred, not Frederick, as some people have written on the internet. It's just Fred. Fred Lincoln Ray Jr. Yeah. How was he? So he was with his. Did he come from like a musical family? You know, um, his brothers were very musical. Um, he talked a lot about his mom singing. Um, they were sharecroppers, so she would have the kids help her pick cotton out in the fields, and they would sing, like, Will the Circle Be Unbroken, and hymns. She was very religious. I don't think the dad was musical at all, but definitely all three brothers. They, um, the younger brother was a drummer and singer, and I'm sure played other instruments. The older brother, Ray Ray. Ray Ray. <laughs> was um, singer, guitarist, drummer, played piano, produced, recorded, engineered. Were and they then, doing like, were they living in any tribal fashion or what was it just like? No, they were living, they lived in a shack in North Carolina in Dunn. And they were, they're not actually recognized by any tribe. And I think that's probably because so many people sort of whitewashed their own records at that time because it was not good to be Native American in the South in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. um, have either of you seen the documentary Rumble? I watched the, the uh, I watched the Link Ray parts. Uh, it's an, from the Independent Lens series. So it's, yeah. it's available to watch on PBS for free. Great documentary. Yeah, it's um, great. Because uh, it, it covers Link Ray kind of first. And then they go on to a, a number of different uh, people who have been involved in specifically rock and popular music. And, you know, I did not know that Robbie Robertson had indigenous uh, heritage or I didn't I did. either until I saw that documentary. Yeah, it was a surprise. Who's Robbie me. Robertson from the band. Oh, oh yes, Robbie Robertson. I do know who he is. Yeah, Robbie Robertson also is very uh, involved with the Hall. 
he has uh he's on the nominating committee and has uh produced the ceremonies to some degree and i didn't know uh i didn't know Jimi hendrix either i didn't know that either and link actually talked about that at one point um he talks about meeting Jimi hendrix and like Jimmy telling him that he's Cherokee and Link not believing him or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a very strange thing. You know, I am um, Cherokee and I don't talk about it almost at all. I'm like 12%. My um, dad was a quarter. And I, it's like one of those things where it just feels like because I really present very white and I am not, I'm kind of like estranged from that part of the family that I, I, I don't even, I don't talk about it at all, almost. I, I hadn't even thought, it just there is just a thing, I think, especially with being Cherokee in America, everyone's like, oh yeah, everybody's Cherokee. Like everybody's got a little, yeah, yeah, a six, yeah. exactly. And like, it, it, it has become almost like a thing where people, it's like, that doesn't count, I guess, is maybe the way that I've, I've been made to feel in the past. And so I don't really talk about it either. There's an episode of Roseanne where um, DJ is doing like this school play for Thanksgiving and it's like a classic, you know, Indians and Pilgrims story. And Roseanne is just like, no, <laughs> that's not how it <laughs> happened. And there's a scene where like the, the Karen neighbor, the like very uptight white woman says something like, well, my great grandmother was a Cherokee princess or something. And the, I think the teacher or someone calls her out on it. It's like, that's not a thing. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah like, I agree. Like if you say that in America, a lot of people will look at that very, with a lot of doubt. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, you know, one of the things that is frustrating when it comes to talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and inductees is that there is really no list of published criteria that the Rock Hall has ever put out there. There's, you can't really measure it by any metric because and it, it is not only ephemeral, but it is confusing. Uh, but one of the things that uh, I have done for this podcast is I put together a list of criteria that I think if an artist does well in a, in a good number of them, they have a good shot or at least a good case for induction. So why don't we take a quick break? And when we come back, we'll see how Link Ray does in the categories. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, we hope you had a nice break. Uh, we hope over your break, you made a deal with someone in your room so that you could accomplish something. All right, so Link Ray has been eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame since the very first time anyone could have been inducted. And then that would have been 1986 because uh, his first recording was you know, in the late 50s. So... Could have been class number one. <laughs> he has been nominated twice. He's been on the ballot for the 2014 ceremony and the 2018 ceremony. And then was inducted in 2018 as a single. So consolation prize. But he has, Link Ray as a artist has not been inducted. And so he didn't even get on the ballot until 2014. I'm curious about, yeah, like who... 
I wonder who his champions are. Probably little Steven. I, I would guess little Steven. Little of. Steven is actually a huge champion of Link. Is little Steven still on the nominating committee? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yes. I try. Some may say he is the singles category, if you will. Oh, he seems okay. to have like a unilateral hold on the singles category, much to our dismay and <laughs> the dismay <laughs> of many. Uh, but I, yeah, I would imagine Robbie Robertson as well. There, I think there are a lot of the people who have their, you know, rock history cred, I would imagine would be in Link Ray's corner. And you know, yeah, for him to get on the ba- for him to get on the ballot, there has to be enough people that are on board with the idea. So let's uh, let's start with these categories. Uh, the first one is iconic, recognizable songs. Well, well, Rumble is already in the singles category. We know that's the big- yeah. yeah. So as far as the rock hall is concerned, as iconic as it gets, but yeah, Rumble is obviously the big one. big iconic song that everybody recognizes even if you don't know who it is or you don't know the name of the song you're like where have i heard this before this sounds familiar this evokes a mood this is in yeah that song truly is as they say a mood the song is a mood it's a mood it's a a vibe it's a bop it's all of them but then beyond beyond rumble and like you were saying you know, the kind of misconception is that he is a one hit wonder because that one is is admittedly so far above the rest in terms of general recognizability, recognition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what would you say? He only had two other songs, as far as I can tell, that charted. He had Rawhide, which went to number 23 in 1959. <laughs> Like get him up, get him up, get him up. Rawhide? No. The song. Similar sentiments, no. but okay. different. Not song. the TV theme song. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to the show Rawhide. Okay. 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 I mean, hey, he did do a cover of the Batman theme. Yes, he did, and people love that. era that late 50s early 60s a lot of those came out when he was on epic records or cadence records was rumble and he was getting a lot of airplay and was on dick clark shows all the time all the teen dance shows did the the tours that he did the same tour that buddy holly and big bopper and richie valens did like the following season after they died where they were like all right let's get another crop of young musicians and we'll Hopefully these ones don't die. Whoa. Um, that seems like a tour I would not want to go on. <laughs> yeah. Me neither. Definitely not the first one after it. I think that was the Big Bopper one was the winter. I think it was GAC Tours, General Artists Corporation. Um, and then Link did the spring tour. Whoa. So uh, not even a full year, just a season. Yeah, just, a just. Month. Wow. He was getting a lot of airplay at the time. And I think anyone who was around and listening to music at that time would have considered those all hits 
And then, you know, he did get some airplay and he did get some recognition in the early 70s too with that self-titled because it came out on Polydor, which was a pretty big label Mm -hmm. at the time, still is. And he put out a few albums with Polydor. They didn't chart nearly as well as the Rumble era stuff did, but you can hear a lot of them in commercials still today. And Father John Misty just covered Fallen Rain from the 1971 album. I hear talk of people I feel the falling rain and I hear talk of people I feel the falling rain I think fire and brimstone is used in like a Jack Daniels commercial I believe it. There is something, well, also because most of his stuff was instrumental, correct? I wouldn't say most, but of the Rumble era, most of it was. And then he really didn't start singing as much on record, at least until the early 70s. Does he have a recognizable sounding voice? Very much so. He actually lost a lung to tuberculosis when he was before Rumble, so 1956, I believe. He was in the Korean War got tuberculosis and didn't realize it, came home. He was living in Washington, D.C. at the time. He was married to his first wife and had a little girl and had to go into quarantine, like real deal quarantine, not like what we're supposedly doing now, um, (laughs) in the tuberculosis hospital. Oh, wow. He, He had pneumonia and it turned into tuberculosis and they had to remove a lung. And the doctors told him he would never sing and that he wouldn't be playing guitar anymore. They told him to basically just sit on the couch the rest of his life and he did not listen clearly um but he had this sort of it was raspy sometimes his voice but it was also like it almost felt like he was straining to sing a lot of the time but it was also this super strong voice it's hard to describe but definitely if you listen to that 1971 album he was singing on just about every song and then he started singing a lot more after that but he does have a very recognizable voice for sure well, talking about the, the 1971 album, that transitions nicely into our next category, which is classic albums. And, you know, I would say his kind of heyday was not in the album era. You know, the, the late 50s, like when Rumble came out, was not the time when, you know, that was more of a singles uh, yeah. era. But you mentioned the 1971 self-titled that came out on Polydor. And he's got he's got a few other albums. This is we use this as a kind of connective tissue to the next category, which is critical acclaim. Which the question is, do you guys think that he has an album on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums list? I do not. I do. I don't either. I know if he did, I think it's yeah. He'd be on the songs. I think, I think the songs, he could be on the songs list, but if he did, do you think it would be that 71 album? Um, I think Rumble would be on the songs list for sure. And I know he's on the guitarist list, but I don't think he'd have an album on that list. Yeah, you guys are uh, correct. He does not have an album on that list. I would say that 1971 album, you know, like you said, has its fans, but in general, I don't think he is really an album's artist in the traditional sense but yeah he he is on the rolling stone list of the greatest guitarists and i don't think that he is on 
I don't think Rumble is on Greatest Songs. But then we go into critical acclaim. And Dana, you can maybe speak to that through your research, how critics received his music then versus how they do so now. I think for the most part, he has so many albums, it's hard to really make a generalization, but most of his albums are critically acclaimed. Um, The 1971 one, certainly. There were some in the 90s and 2000s that were maybe less so, that were a little more out of left field. Critics, you know, there wasn't as much music criticism per se in the you know the rumble era right it was more like it got played if people liked it or if the dj was being paid or whatever happened (laughs) (laughs) yeah dick clark said you played it you played it yeah for the most part music critics seem to love him um david frick is in the rumble documentary talking about him it's really more when you get into the the 90s and 2000s where he was experimenting with synthesizers and there's an album where he attempts disco and rap and white hold up wait a minute what's his rap album called is it called uh link gray raps and it's spelled with a w no i wish (laughs) he put out an album with do you guys know who bruce brand is he was in the head coats and the milkshakes like uk garage rock he's in this whole like kind of mod scene he did an album with Link. He produced it and it's called Wild Side of the City Lights. And there's this great story. Of, I interviewed Bruce and he's talking about how um, Link wanted to, this was late 80s and Link had been out of the spotlight for a long time. He moved to Denmark in 1980 and didn't come back until, well, he came back once in the mid 80s, but didn't come back again until Pulp Fiction came out. So mid 90s. So he was off in Denmark with his new wife and his youngest son. And so he was sort of out of the circle of American, American music industry and out of touch. And he decided he wanted to do some disco songs. And Bruce tried to talk him out of it. And was like, you know, I, I really don't think that's a great idea in 1986 or whatever <laughs> year it was. But Lincoln insisted. And there's, I think the song... I want to say the song is called Dick Tracy Private Eye or something very absurd. <laughs> That's sort of disco-y. No, I'm a doctor. I'm not a doctor. My name is Dick Tracy. Private Eye. You heard of me? No. There was a critic called Jimmy McDonough who did a great series of interviews with Link in the 90s. And I interviewed Jimmy as well. He called it like wretched workout rock or something. Oh boy. Um, is, that, is that the guy who did the Neil Young biography? Yes. Ricky? Yeah, he yeah. wrote Shaky. But there's also a song where Bruce tells this story about they're in the studio and they've done the guitar and drums and everything. And Link just needed to do the vocals. And apparently he hadn't written any lyrics. So he just picked <laughs> up a album that Bruce had brought him as a gift like here's my band's album you know maybe you'll like it and Link just started reading song titles from Bruce's his producer's album oh Oh, boy oh yes and was just like you know what I'm just doing it I'm just going for it I'm a rapper now yeah not a great song (laughs) I have to say yeah 
Oh boy. Sounds like he took chances. <laughs> yeah, he did. There's an album from 1993 that never came out in the States called Indian Child that was out on Sony Denmark that actually has some wonderful songs on it. I mean, like stuff you would have heard on the on VH1. Like there's a song that reminds me of like a Chris Isaac song or something. It's just gorgeous. just really odd weird rants about jesus and he was very religious um interesting about how prince and axel rose love jesus and really really odd so you know those aren't necessarily so critically (laughs) (laughs) i did not know the the christian aspect because we think of him as so rebellious yeah and we think about like the story of you know rumble was banned from the airwaves because they thought it could start a riot and you don't a song so tough (laughs) (laughs) no words can describe the feeling of rumble like wow and then meanwhile and you know, some of that it was never a nationwide ban or anything it was just a few markets when yeah. you play it and a lot of it i think it was the sound of the song but also the title that's that's so. the impression that i get although the the narrative is much cooler when it's like the song sounded so insane that it was gonna right. start a riot but really it's that the name of the song is rumble which sounds yeah. like a call to action the heyday of west side story um, <laughs> i mean it he's definitely looking like a jet or a shark or you know he's got the <laughs> the greaser. greaser vibes or whatever and you Definitely. know getting ready to rumble <laughs> in terms of getting back to just critical acclaim that i think critics respect him i don't think he was necessarily like a darling no but I think there was, you almost have to, if you know your shit, you have to acknowledge the the impact there. Yeah, uh, he's like a touchstone mm-hmm. more than anything, almost. Like uh, someone from the Cramps that I interviewed, Kid, Kid Congo Powers talks about how like that was his cred is like he had to love Link Ray to be in the Cramps. And they, his hazing was like they Poison Ivy and Lux Interior brought him to a Link Ray show in New York. And it was like this unspoken language, like, okay, you're cool with Link Ray. This is kind of how we want to play. Like, all right, you're in. You can be in our band. Next category is commercial success. And Rumble went to number 16, but I don't, I couldn't really find, and this is maybe another thing that you could shine some light on in terms of how many records he sold. He feels to me like almost like you said with the cramps it's like almost like a, a secret like an underground thing of do you know link ray because he, it's not the most obvious thing in the world how many records did he sell if you if we have any idea i know there were so many different releases on so many different you know labels and right um not that many i guess in in today's terms i know that rumble sold at least a million copies Mm-hmm. Uh, you know it's hard to find the exact records for that kind of stuff at this point the other albums I mean that was probably his most commercially successful record for sure and with Link it's it's kind of hard to quantify things anyway because he had such an interesting um, <laughs> financial arrangement 
his brother was also his manager and it was sort of a classic what could you, go wrong exactly <laughs> you know you let your your older brother who tried to have a solo career and it didn't go well who sort of mm-hmm. become your manager slash producer slash collaborator um you entrust him to handle finances and contracts for most of your career so honestly like link could have had a lot of commercial success and probably gotten more airplay and some more money but you know his brother was handling all of that and we know that his brother was buying new cars and buying houses and setting up recording studios and Link was struggling to put food on the table and there's a lot of family drama over that obviously but it's hard to say you almost have to think of it in terms of what he could have done and what he maybe did. He said at one point he only made enough from Rumble to buy an old Cadillac, like a used Cadillac. Which is the most Rumble thing of all, though. Like, <laughs> yeah, that does you know, really sound. An old a, Cadillac. A old Cadillac. <laughs> yeah, that's and the sound comb, of Rumble, baby. baby. <laughs> yeah, commercially, it's just, I mean, there's also stories about him getting these huge advances from record labels and then squandering the money because he grew up poor. He never had, he never managed money. He didn't know how to. His brother had done it for him for a long time yeah um his brother credited a lot of songs um he gave writing credits to their dad so when the dad died the oldest brother would of course inherit oh dang um, there's some like tax some interesting tax maneuvers this happening. Is a, a slippery fella yeah yeah so it's it's hard to quantify that with link right um, is he living or no longer? No, he's not. Um, he died in 2005. So it was just the 15th anniversary in November of this year. Well, let's, uh, the next category is longevity. And you mentioned how long his career was. In terms of the last, so Rumble was in 58. The last song that charted, at least in America, was Jack the Ripper, which went to number 64 in 1963. <laughs> that's kind of like the era in terms of maybe getting radio play and being like a hot new guy, but he had a career as you alluded to where he kind of, as the people he influenced became stars, he seemed to get the opportunity to have a longer career. I know that we will talk about influence as well, but he's like the rockabilly velvet underground. Everybody. Yeah, right. You know, because, you know, they say everyone who it's like the Velvet Underground were not very big, but everyone who listened to the Velvet Underground started a band and then they became big and successful. Right. It's sort of the idea of like infiltrating into the soil that everything's growing out of or something. I, I also am seeing, you know, everything is like saying Dick Dale as kind of like another I think probably mm-hmm. just instrumental kind of surf rock type person too, as far as just yeah. like, I think that they are seen together as in some ways, like, do you think of him as like a dirtier, grittier Dick Dale? Cause Dick was gritty, but clean. Yeah. Dick was definitely had that super clean, like, like if you listen to Miserloo, which is the the song you hear on Pulp Fiction. That's the Pulp Fiction of it all for sure. Yeah, it is super clean and he was very technical. 
I guess, had, from what I've heard from people who've met both of them, Dick Dale had much more of an ego, but was also probably better business-minded and maybe more commercially and financially successful because of it. Whereas Link kind of didn't give a shit about any of that, um, or at least acted like he didn't. And he was more like from the gut, played how you feel it. Like he heard sounds in his head and was just trying to match that and definitely dirtier and more feedback and grungy. Grungy. Grunge before there was grunge, you know, punk before there was punk. But he, yeah, he started playing in the early 40s. He did Western swing music, which was kind of like the bridge between big band and some like very early proto country type music and actual country and super early rockabilly and rock and roll. Um, And it came out of a lot of oil towns like in Oklahoma and Texas and California. Oh yeah, I believe it. And they were on the East coast, his family, um, they were living in Portsmouth, Virginia at the time. So, you know, it kind of came into that region. The touring cowboys would come around, you know, cowboys did their movies and then they would do their touring show and sing and shoot their guns. Um, And so Link and his brother started opening for a lot of those cowboys. And then, you know, Link would sit in with some of them and sort of learn. And he and his brother started this band. So they started playing, God, it must've been like 1944. Wow. Would have been when he was a teenager. He was born in 1929. And then, you know, his brother was getting a lot of connections and sort of blossomed from there. And then he was, he toured you know, July 2005 was his last show in California and he died in November of 2005. So he was touring up until a few months before his death. Another thing that was a very Dick Dale thing as well. Yes. Right. Yeah. When, yeah. when you mentioned before him being financially stable, sadly he was not, and he was yeah. very ill and, and still performing up until the end because he did not have any money. Yeah. It's really, yeah. yeah. Their their stories do align in, in a strange way, both with the Rock Hall snub and the Everybody Knows One Big Song that had a revival because of the, literally the same movie. <laughs> yeah. I think Dick Dale also had like a serious illness when he was young. But yeah, they did lead strangely parallel lives. And I did actually, before Dick Dale died, I asked him if he had anything to say about Link. And he just was like, no. Huh. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Hi, Mr. Dale. Did he feature ever on anyone else's stuff? Was he ever used as a guitarist in anyone else's records or bands or anything like that? You know, besides his brothers, Robert Gordon was a collaborator he worked with in the late seventies, sort of a rockabilly revival guy who had been in the CBGB scene before that. He worked with him for a few years and toured with him. He didn't really do a ton of work on other people's albums. He produced one album in his whole career, which I thought was interesting, Um, a band called Eggs Over Easy. They had, I think, just two albums. I think they had two and Link produced their debut. Um, When was that? That would have been mid-70s. The album was called Good and Cheap. He did some uncredited guitar playing I think back when it, his brother also managed other musicians in the Virginia area so Uh-oh. I think yeah <laughs> that's not <laughs> good Patton, just like a rockabilly guy and she played on one of his um yeah not a lot of like session work or anything 
Yeah, or you'd assume, uh, and this connects to the next category, influence, that the people who mm -hmm. he influenced would be like, please come play on this record. And who knows, maybe those offers were made and just they didn't materialize. But Maybe Ray Ray closed the gate, kept the gate closed. <laughs> you know, you never know, never told him. But uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about his kind of influence and his innovation uh i don't think it really i think it came up briefly when you were reading Kristen. you're reading the spotify blurb but oh yeah i mean he's credited with creating the power cord yeah and i mean that's that's debatable whether he created it or invented it i think there's some evidence of blues artists who used them a little sooner than link but he definitely was the first to intentionally put feedback on a record Right. With rumble. And distortion. Um, yeah, distortion. He definitely was the first to use the power cord the way he did. So power cords, you know, existed, but Link sort of just like threw it into the mainstream and then everybody was doing them. Pete Townsend and Jimmy Page. And well, this on again on this, this Spotify bio is literally just like a fan letter to Link Ray. <laughs> like literally like it everything says. Everything ever written about Link it's yeah mother. it says if a direct line can be traced forward from black blues musicians cranking up their amps and playing with a ton of violence and aggression to young white guys doing a mutated form of the same the line points straight to link ray no contest <laughs> pete townsend <laughs> subbed it up for more guitarists than he probably realized when he said quote he is the king if it hadn't been for link ray and rumble i would never have picked up a guitar that's yeah. an endorsement it's quite an endorsement. I mean, how do you not get in the rock hall just based on that quote alone? That's a pretty big one. Well, it's hard because, you know, I'm looking at those other categories and he's really, he's like barely making a blip, but then you get on this one and he is just off and the charts. The influences with very pivotal rock and roll figures. Right. Uh, there's the documentary, It Might Get Loud. And mm -hmm. there's a really, I think maybe the best scene is it's Jimmy Page just pulling out the record for Rumble and putting it on the record player and just geeking out and just like smiling and be like, and like pointing to the record and looking into the camera and basically being like, can you believe like, are this? Are you hearing this? Yeah. It yeah, really. I mean, and he's air guitaring too. It's like, that's who Jimmy Page air guitars too. Yeah. And people like Iggy Pop, he, he shows up in, in Rumble talking about Link Ray and like we said, Robbie Robertson and so, so many of these people who we think of as like foundational, like rock gods. It's, it's all about Link Ray for them. Yeah. And one thing that I sort of glossed over, which is like arguably maybe one of the most important things about Link is a big part of Rumble was that when they were recording it, so it was first improvised at a, like a teen dance, they called it a record hop um, that a local radio DJ was holding. And it was Link and his brother and their bassist. I don't think Ray Ray was performing. I think he was just there. They sort of improvised the song and it was like the feedback was super loud and the amps were just like making all this crazy noise through the PA and people were screaming and it was all It was the under and... the sea dance. <laughs> Marty McFly was running around. <laughs> and when Link went into the studio, he was trying to recreate what had happened, like the magic of this thing that had happened that they improvised. And to do that, he was getting, well, he was getting frustrated because he couldn't get the same sound. So he took, it was either a pen or a pencil. I feel like I should have that detail memorized. Some writing instrument and um, poked holes in, his, in the tweeters of his amp. It made the sound sort of like bleed 
more and uh-huh. create that like recreate that magic that he had discovered and that's really like if you want to isolate it to one thing that's really the sound that you know if you listen to the Stooges or MC5 or Led Zeppelin or the Cramps or any number of other you know rock derived genres you hear it you know when you hear the kinks and power chords and smashing pumpkins like anything mm-hmm. you just you hear it yeah it's almost like the birth of hard rock like that yeah. subset within the genre uh the next category is uh, artistry slash skill i think you know the fact that he's like one of the great guitar players of all time uh that that's where he kind of comes in at that category of like yeah everyone knows this is one of the great different kind of daring guitar players yeah he's where not does he fall on the um list Oh, on the, on the, on the Rolling, Rolling Stone, Stone on the Rolling Stone guitar list. Okay, and it's five hundred guitars. Let me see if I can guess. Um, if <laughs> yeah. it's one hundred, I think he's thirty-four. Yeah, Dana, 72. what do you think? I'm gonna guess seventy-two. Guys, he comes in at forty-five. Huh. In the top fifty. Not too shabby. And he was a fantastic songwriter too. And people forget that. Like, there's so many songs, especially from the '70s, that are just gorgeous. Um, there's a song called God Out West, which is just, if I hadn't already wanted to write a book about Link, if I'd heard that song, it would have made me want to write a book about Link. It's like gospely and like funky and like there's a four on the floor drum beat and then a crazy guitar solo and it just works. And he was able to cross all these genres and still just have that signature sound, but in so many different vehicles almost. And also a great singer. I mean, there's some early tapes that are like, ooh, dude, <laughs> you got one <laughs> lung, just chill, like yeah. just play your guitar. But he sort of like leaned into the imperfections in his voice later on, especially that 1971 album I keep talking about. And it's just like so raw. And I think a lot of singers were probably influenced by him too. And we know less about that than about the guitar. But yeah, just like so unique. Like no one else can really sound like Link Ray. All right, last category. Maybe the most important category. Does my mom know who they are? (laughs) And I texted my mom. And she said, no. Oh, man. She said no. And And Kristen, you're actually with your mom. In the other room. And I said, do you know who Link Ray is? And she said, no, I I don't. (laughs) Like, like she felt disappointed that she didn't, but uh, she really doesn't. She's like, I want to know who that is. Like, I feels like I would, you know, like my dad was a big guitar player when I was growing up and I bet that she has heard his music a lot, but it's just one of those things. It's like his name isn't iconic. Well, that's the thing is if you played either of your mom's rumble, they'd probably be like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I totally know what this is. My mom is. would be like, I love that commercial. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's like, buy whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, rumble is in a grass seed commercial, which I always find just like so interesting. Like, yeah, I don't quite get like it. Seed. Well, okay, get, rumble. okay here, I'll, here's how it goes. It's rumble, turf, 
You know, mm-hmm. you're rumbling over turf. It's a turf war. It's a rumble. That's how it all works. Okay. That's a it. creative. Okay. It's time for the verdict. Should Link Ray get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Will he get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And if so, when? And we will start with Kristen. Okay. I think that Link Ray should have gotten in kind of when they were doing all the 50s and 60s ones. I think mm-hmm. that we have passed the point where it's going to happen for him, especially considering the singles category. So, I mean, I think that he deserves, I almost feel like, and this is not good because he is of the same era as many people who were put in regular style. But to me, it's like, almost feels like early influence. It feels like because his biggest category is that he made other people, he inspired other people who would go on to make more famous or popular music. He should be in either like musical excellence, early influence. It's there's something that maybe is just too hard if he wasn't going to get in when all those kind of like, you know, who, who there's like a million that all the old guys are always trying to tell us, like, I can't believe Tommy Jones and the Shondells aren't in, or, you know, all these people. I sure. feel like if, if they, if he would have gotten in with that category, like with the class in the eighties, it would have been, that's why the first couple of classes should have been like 25 people each, just get them all in, make it happen. Which, but, you um, know, they, they almost did to some extent, which they did 10 in the first class and 15 in the second. So there was, there, a, go. there was, a, you know, but then the next year it was five and then it had been, you know, five after that, but yeah. Okay, anyway. So do I think he should be in? Yes, but it's like he should have been in already. And now I don't think he will get in. I especially think be, unless your book becomes a bestseller and people mm-hmm. start, you know, like That's tuning in a little bit, maybe Tarantino makes, you know, uh, pulp nonfiction and like <laughs> does more stuff. I mean, there are ways that it could happen. I just, you know, you both referenced these documentaries that were apparently quite important and influential that really make a case for him. And if those didn't do it, I'm curious. I just, I don't see it happening, unfortunately. I hate to say it. Fair though. E- Even handed. Dana, what do you think? Should he, will he, and when? Uh, I agree with Kristen. I think he absolutely should and should have been a long time ago. I think it's to the point, and this is kind of what Kristen said too, where it's kind of embarrassing that he's not in now. It's like when you've known someone for a long time and you never learned their name, but then it gets to a point (laughs) where it's just too embarrassing for you to ask. And you should just ask because you just feel like, oh, I should have done that so long ago. Um, he should have gotten in right away, should have been at the very least an early influence. I think that would have been an easy way to, I don't want to use the word appease, but appease a lot of music fans. And it's just, it seems incomplete without him. So I think he totally should be in it. I honestly have kind of lost faith that he will. I, I had my hopes up the first or the, the last two times he was nominated and I, same thing, I thought the Rumble documentary would push it over the edge. I thought Stephen Van Zandt being on the nominating committee would, but none of that's happened. So it, it really makes you wonder, like, what will it take? And, you know, great, if it's my book, great. And if it's a bestseller, that would be super cool. But at the same time, I'm sort of of the mindset of, 
Link is maybe too cool for it. And it, it kind of goes along with his whole legacy uh, not being in it, like just being so cool mm-hmm. and so popular mm-hmm. and just like too cool for this kind of like square <laughs> institution. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then another factor too is like, he was rarely on major labels, especially for the last, you know, 25, 30 years of his life. He went out of his way to find really super small boutique labels that would let him do what he wanted so he could retain creative control. And he just didn't build those relationships that I think people need to get into the rock hall. And Bob Dylan loved him. All those famous people love him, but is Bob Dylan really spending his spare time lobbying for people, for his friends to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I don't think so. And also because he's gone as well, there is this kind of feeling of like, what good does it do? Like, There's no urgency. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think he should. I think, you know, obviously when you, we talked about feedback, distortion, power cord, like when that, when you popularize that kind of shit, like that is enough, let alone the, the body of the work and the influence. I, I'm pretty split on if I think it will happen because I do think this consolation prize of the singles category, it feels as though now the nominating committee and the hall feels like they can move on from the people that they put in the singles category. But also the singles category has been such a disaster. They did it twice the second year, it didn't even make it to the HBO broadcast. And then the, th- the third year, it was literally just, they didn't do it, but it was on their website. So it's like slowly not becoming a thing anymore. So mm-hmm. I wonder if they are going to still think of these singles as a consolation induction. But I don't, but I don't, I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell. Like He should have been inducted. I thought what you said, Kristen, about him being inducted back then makes a lot of sense i think of artists like Dwayne eddy and the ventures who are also Mm -hmm. primarily instrumental groups and artists that maybe don't have the name recognition of a lot of the other groups in the hall but they the the thing with them is they those artists sold a lot more records so i there could also be a reckoning with the fact that we as a nation are starting to come to terms with the way white people have treated the indigenous uh, peoples of this of this country and i think having someone like link ray you know the the documentary about indigenous music and rock is called rumble he mm-hmm. is like such a pivotal person to represent that and i think that would be very very meaningful to induct him and that's just like an additional layer on the the case that has already been made but I think something within the mechanism of the Rock Hall would have to change for them to induct him. And I think the best shot would be to do an early influence because they could just say- Because then they in- can just do it. You don't mm-hmm. have to you have convince to- every me- member of Def Leppard to vote for him. Like, yeah. you know, Exactly. You don't have to rely on- Not that they wouldn't the- do it. I th- actually think Def Leppard would be- Potentially. More likely, especially because they're British and they're hard rock. Like they might actually be down with Link Ray, but you know- But they also might be have- stupid. <laughs> Never right i just think with the early influence they could just do it they do not have to rely on the voting body yeah and there are artists who have been inducted as early influences who were of that era who it's like you said late 50s early 60s is a lot of people who've been inducted normally 
but also you get people like Wanda Jackson and Freddie King who were inducted as early influences and they were around that era as well. So there's no real rhyme or reason to it. I think putting Link Ray in there would be very meaningful. I'm just really split on, and I, I would be a little cynical and say that it's probably not going to happen, but you know, that's the thing about the hall. Cross your fingers. Maybe next year. Uh, oh, <laughs> cross your fingers and prepare to be disappointed. disappointed. All right, but let's pretend. Let's pretend Link Ray gets in though. Let's pretend Link Ray's getting inducted. Hooray, Dana! What do you think? Do they induct the Ray Men, or you just induct Link? Uh, it would just be Link. And when he was nominated on the ballot, it did just say Link Ray. There was no acknowledgement of the Ray Men. Yeah, and even when it was Link Ray and the Ray Men, or you know, there were a lot of other band names that they played under too. Link really was the heart and soul of all of that. It's weird because I actually have heard that everybody loves the Raymond. <gasps> <laughs> I'm sorry, and I'm not sorry. No, I, I accept. I... <laughs> so we've 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 thrown out a bunch of names already, but if Link Ray is being inducted, who gives the speech to induct him? Oh wow. I mean, I don't know if Stevie Van Zant would, since he's on the committee, I don't know if that's Oh, like, he does it all the time. Oh yeah, that's, he he's, he's all, all over okay. the ceremony. He'd be up there. He's gonna, no matter what, yeah, he'd, if, yeah, if Link Ray he, was getting in, Stevie would be there doing something. Yeah, he would definitely be a contender. Um, you know, Jimmy Page, Pete Townsend, I don't think they'd ever get Dylan to do it. I mean, he did yeah. love Link a lot. I don't think that um, would happen. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, Iggy Pop mm-hmm. would be a good These choice. These are all people who would be great choices that, that would show up too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know Robbie Robertson maybe doesn't have the big marquee name recognition that those guys have, but I think it would be meaningful to have someone who is also indigenous. Yeah, but Ghost also Jimmy Hendrix, Jimmy Hendrix hologram <laughs> does it. Who knows? But Jimmy Page seems like a, especially since there's that footage of him getting giddy. He seems like a really good, and he's he's done it before. He inducted Jeff Beck. So yeah, I mean, there's no there's no scarcity of names that I think could do. No, it. I think people would be lining up to induct Link. And then you know one person does it, and then you get the rest of them to do the tribute performance. Exactly. Yeah, I think there would be no shortage of big names willing and probably clamoring to do it. Right. And you would, knowing the hall, it would be, you know, you get you get Robbie Robertson and Jimmy Page, who would probably be there. Then you throw in Gary Clark Jr. Then you throw in John Mayer. Obviously, you got to get, I was like, and John Mayer's guitar is going to do something, like, for sure. That's what the, that's how the hall would do it. They maybe, absolutely would. Maybe they'd throw in St. Vincent because they feel like it can't just be men, but. Oh, totally. Yeah. Maybe not. Uh, it is the hall <laughs> we're talking about. But they, they, I wonder if they would obviously play Rumble, but would they do other songs or would that be the totality of the tribute? I guess it depends on if they're doing a singer or not. If you're doing instrumentals, it would probably be like a medley of Rumble, Jack the Ripper, Ace of Spades, Ride. Because those songs are all really short too. Um, If you're doing like later years where he sings, I mean, Father John Misty covered him recently. That could be an option. It would be hard to find someone to do Link's voice justice though. Like, it, it, it's hard to find someone who isn't just going to do it as them. Like yeah. John, Father John Misty is Father John Misty no matter what. Like I'm just thinking of that 
the George Harrison tribute where you have like Jeff Lynn and Tom Petty singing while my guitar gently weeps that worked those were huge names in their own right but they're similar vein you know Mm -hmm. but I don't know who that would be like who could sing Link yeah I I get the sense that because it's the hall they probably wouldn't go for the songs that have vocals right based on, mm-hmm. you know, they're producing a ceremony for HBO. I feel like they would probably do Rumble and then they would do a medley that would get cut from the broadcast. <laughs> I think you're right. That is correct. Yes. <laughs> I think that's how it would go. Dana, that about does it. Thank you so much for joining us. This was- yeah, Thank uh, you for having me. I, I always love to talk links to people because my family is sick of hearing about it. So <laughs> we're happy to provide. This is why Joe started the podcast. He was likes to talk about the rock hall and he was- <laughs> Friends and family were sick of hearing about it. I feel like that's why a lot of people start podcasts. That's a I good think, reason. Yeah, I think it's so. A safe place. Well, the the book is called First Man in Black. So, and that's uh, scheduled to come out next year. Yep. And my publisher is Bazillion Points. Uh, is there anything else, your social media or anything else out there that you would like to plug? Yeah, I am on Instagram at um, my handle is at by Dana Rate. My last name is R-A-I-D-T. Twitter is at Dana underscore Darko. Perfect. And you can follow us at Rock Hall Pod on Twitter and Instagram. RockHallPod at gmail.com is the email. If you want Kristen to see that, you're going to need to designate that somewhere in your message. Otherwise, I'm not sending it to her. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us. Five stars only. Anything else is rude. Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusu Kim for the music. And thank you to Pantheon Podcasts for hosting us. I'm Joe Guazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares about the Rock Hall? Want to look and feel better together? Team up and lose weight with Nutrisystem's Partner Plan. Partners lose more weight doing it together, up to 20% more weight than doing it on their own. Get fully prepared breakfasts, lunches, dinners, and snacks delivered right to your door. Delicious foods that are ready in minutes. Now featuring new Meals for Two. Double portion meals served up in one package and designed for weight loss. Quick to prepare and ready to share. Get Nutrisystem's Partner Plan and lose weight together. Now with with hearty inspirations dinners that control hunger for up to five hours. Exactly what you both need to feel full, satisfied, and energized as the weight comes off. Stop wasting money on diets that don't work and lose weight with Nutrisystem's Partner Plan. Get started for as low as $10 a day. Go to Nutrisystem.com meals right now and get a deal for two. Just go to Nutrisystem.com meals. Expect to lose an average one to two pounds a week. Offer restrictions apply. See website for details. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 